There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. It is Drive Live and it is time to welcome back Ludmilla Yamalova to the Dubai Eye Studios. Nice to see you. Good to be here as always. Good to have you here. We've got a lot to talk about today, Ludmilla. We've got questions that we need to get to from uh, last week and uh, rest. So uh, real estate self-transactions. I want to start there actually because I have heard about this. I'm not really au fait with exactly what it means. Apparently it's going to make it easier to transact in a property fashion. This happens from 2020. If you are a remote landlord, if you like, not resident here in the UAE, things should be easier. That's really all I know. What else is there? Well, in all fairness, this is all just um, it's, it's an announcement uh, at this point. So the right. details and are still yet to be revealed once the the application uh, or the system should become available, which, you, as you said, will be in, t- in 2020. But in the meantime, what it relates to is an announcement by the Land Department about the introduction of a new system that's called the Dubai Land Department Real Estate Self-Transaction Platform, uh, or REST, yeah. as its abbreviation. And the idea here is that it's, it's going to be a global virtual real estate platform uh, for landlords and um, uh, and and sell and basically to to deal with the potential cl- uh, customers directly. Uh, and being able to list the properties from anywhere they're based in the world and not just list properties, but manage the entire transaction from A to Z uh, to the point of actually transferring or, uh, the title deed and signing the documents and uh, and receiving payments. Um, so, it's, so it's a virtual platform for uh, real estate transactions to, um, um, to, to basically be initiated and, and um, uh, finalized. Uh, and so that's basically the, the, the gist of the platform. Right. Uh, now, the idea is that also it will allow uh, various uh, management of, 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 vari- of payments and administration of other parts of the property, such as, for example, payment of electricity and water and internet bill, which for those uh, who have d- done property transfers today, they will attest that something as, as small as or as nuanced as that may actually does often uh, delay the transaction quite significantly because ultimately in order to transfer property, the the seller needs to get an NOC from uh, from the developer, and then the developer will only give you an NOC if you have a whole other set of NOCs from other utility providers like district cooling, electricity, the phone company, and so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, and so, and and they're also the NOCs only last for a certain number of days, and so the timing is, is crucial, and then also the service charges, and and so it kind of goes and goes and around around and around. So this particular platform will allow, at least in theory, from on the basis of the announcements we've heard so far will allow the landlords to even manage those aspects of their properties and that is to pay their service fees to pay their their deal bill to pay their phone bills and and perhaps even receive the deposits back as we know most of these utility providers have deposits um, so it certainly by the sound of it sounds like a very convenient platform uh, and uh, for uh, given, at least according to the, the news announcements, given that 40% of the property owners are not based in the UAE. Mm. So you can imagine if, if you ha- if you are able to not only list your property, but then manage the transaction, uh, the, the sales transaction from abroad without even ever coming here, uh, that's a huge, um, um, huge benefit. And I'll tell you, there's another element. It'll be very, very interesting to see how it plays out. And that that is the transfer of money. Because right now, what happens often is that a lot of the owners actually do not reside reside in the UAE and as a result they no longer have a bank account or maybe they never had a bank account now without having a bank account it's very difficult it, 
it can be quite challenging for them to accept payment because um, in most cases, a payment, unless they're here to do the, the property transfer themselves, and then the payment has to be done by way of a manager's check. So not just a personal check, not through a bank transfer, but only a manager's check. So the land department will only accept that as proof of payment. Now, for somebody who doesn't have a UAE bank account, receiving a manager's check is, um, is, is, is quite challenging because you cannot cash the manager's check unless you have a bank account here. Mm. So what happens often, and we've actually had to consult clients to do this, is just some, often uh, landlords are forced to, or owners are forced to actually come here and either um, open a bank account just for the purpose of being able to cash that check, uh, or they, um, I mean, or they have to just fly in here and actually receive cash. But even then, imagine receiving cash. So, is is if you're buying, if you're selling property that's worth several million dirhams, receiving that kind of cash on hand is not really practical. And then, what do you do with it? You can't really leave the country without it, with uh, without some sort of do- uh, not, uh, notifications or documentation. It's not so easy. So, it's you know, it gets quite complex. And what often parties do is that, for example, the landlord will or the seller will come will say yes i received money but in fact the money will be re- will be set, will be addressed or issued to the either real estate agent or uh, whoever is holding the power of attorney or the lawyers and so there's a lot of sort of sh- machinations going on behind the scenes just f- just in 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 the context of receiving and transferring money so and this particular platform should facilitate that and the related trust issues as well that are associated with that look Huge. many many questions ahmed uh, is on the phone ahmed I'm sorry we kept you waiting for a while there. Thanks for holding on. No problem, no problem. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Ahmed, commercial manager of Middle East Group, uh, directly in charge in the property investment and the real estate brokerage business. Okay. I would like to ask, does it mean if the REST system will go online and will be available for everyone, in the market will be no agents? It does. It does not. There mean, will be no need of the agency. It, it does not mean that. Um, so again, this is just we're only proceeding on the the, sort of the press release uh, statements that have been made available until the system is in place. We will not know, for example, whether the um, uh, the uh, the presence of an agent is optional or still mandatory. So that we will not know. But based on what we're seeing in the press right now, uh, the you uh, the, um, the 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 involvement or the role of the agent is not mandatory, but it's still important. And that's sort of the language we've seen um, uh, come up. And uh, but the role of agents will change. So in uh, in most cases these days, agents serve often just as a, sort of as a, as a point of contact and only uh, between yeah. the parties. And uh, as per as per this uh, p- uh, platform, they will still be their role will still be necessary. So for example. Uh, going back to an example, if you have a land, uh, an owner who lives abroad, yeah. somebody still needs to show the property. Somebody still needs sure. to manage. And if you're going to, yeah. and the, if this, if the buyer wants to, for example, appoint an inspector and, and do some kind of uh, remediation works, someone will have to come back, will have to have access to the property. So you can see that the role of the agent is still important. Uh, but uh, it, well, I guess so the presence of the agent is important, but their role will most likely have to change where they will become a lot more involved in the transaction itself. Um, and and uh, will become more like almost like property managers in terms mm-hmm. of uh, managing the transaction. Which, in, to be honestly, uh, to be honest with you, from our perspective, from our professional perspective, where we see a lot of disputes come out on between between the the agents and parties. So I think it actually mm-hmm. could be a good motivation for the industry uh, to evolve and perhaps graduate to the next level in terms of service. Certainly, in terms of transparency as well, Ahmed. Uh, what do, what do you think? What are your initial thoughts? 
So uh, what I think, I would like to ask, for example, the Ijari came into market in order to protect both sides. So I would like to ask, let's say when this system will be online, will it be mandatory to do the transactions through this system? Yes, I mean, that is the, those are the statements we have heard that this will become mandatory. So this there will be no other way of, of dealing. Uh, but then... It, then in this case, I'm sorry, then in, in this case, there is a, some threat which can affect the real estate business. Let's say all the transactions will go through this system. So probably there will be some charge which Dubai Land Department will charge. In Jari, in current case, for just a registration, it's around 200 dirhams, for example. But with this case, let's say even it will be 1,000 or 2,000 dirhams, or I believe it will be more than this. I think it seriously can damage the real estate market. Well, that's, that's, that, that's the problem with that, Ahmed, is uh, you may well be right, but that is speculati- uh, speculation. Well, but that. also, I mean, it's, it, it all depends on how you look at it, because if now the, the seller of the property actually has to fly into the UAE uh, to accept money or to, or to, for example, open the bank account just to be able to receive money, as, as I um, mentioned yeah. earlier, I mean, the cost there is a lot greater. I will tell you the convenience, based on what I, I see this platform sort of aims to be, the Convenience is going far outweigh any kind of a thousand dirham or even a thousand dollar charge. Uh, if parties are no longer required, if 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 the you know the statistics are to be believed, which is forty percent of the of the sellers are based in the UAE, if they don't have to come here and, and issue powers of attorney and open bank accounts and fly across and back and forth, then the, the savings are significant. So I think any additional charge, if a convenience fee, is is well worth it. Ahmed, unfortunately, we have to leave it there, but appreciate you coming yeah, on today. Thank Thanks. you very much. Thanks thank for you. the question. Thanks, All the best. Drive Live Talks Legal. Drive Live Talks Legal. Ludmilla Yamalava is with us from Yamalava and Plethka. Let's go to, let me see, line five, I think it is, and it should be that Ali is on the phone uh, with us. Ali, afternoon to you. Good afternoon, uh, Mr. Tim. Very nice to talk to you. So you are a property owner. Sorry to hear this. You've had tenants who have caused some damage in your apartment. You've been to the land department. You've been asked for a municipality report. Is that the bones of what's happened? Give us the details, Ali. Um, That's correct. Um, I'm a property owner in Dubai for quite some time now. Uh, In the past, when I used to have damages in my apartment, I would just repair them. Uh, take the invoice and take some pictures to the land department. And uh, I had quite a few judgments in my favor, and I got the damages from the tenants. Uh, The last time what happened, which was around six months ago, is I did the same thing, the same procedure, but uh, my damages was refused. Uh, uh, It was written in the judgment that I should have gotten a municipality report before uh, I came to make the claim. So I have a twofold question. First of all, is is this something new? Uh, has it? Um, I mean, is it a new mandatory requirement? Mm-hmm. And my second question is that the municipality report costs more than a thousand dirhams. So landlords like me who have small apartments and have small damages, uh, what do we do in that case? Okay, so let me try to answer in the order of your questions. With regards to the requirement of municipality report, there is no new law nor amendments to the current law that make that a requirement. So that's just that must be just the piece of evidence that the um, the judges wanted to see in your particular case. And as a general rule, it's up to the judges and the court to decide what documents they find sufficient and what documents, additional documents they may want to see 
in order to decide to, to the merits of the case. Uh, so I, I guess I would I would have liked to see the briefings of your lawyers' briefings. That perhaps there was a request from from the judge early in the proceedings uh, requesting the municipality report, and uh, it wasn't provided for because I highly something doesn't quite add up when you say that the judgment came and and the one of the basis for the judgment was that because there was no municipality report, therefore you lose your case. There is no requirement in the law uh, that makes that a requirement unless the judge specified it early in the proceedings and and, and basically the parties fail to provide it. Uh, so, but the judges are obviously. This is why the judges they do have the authority to decide what documentation they may want to see. Um, so, but, yeah, sorry. Uh, so the the thing was, I usually fight my own cases, and there was no. Um, uh, I mean, it was not asked by the judge to provide any such report. Uh, just the third hearing, the, I was told that the judgment will come, and just suddenly. Uh, I lost the case because of the municipality report. Okay, well, so, I mean, you certainly can appeal that judgment, but in the meantime, uh, perhaps the difference between this case, I'm speculating, obviously, because I don't know this case and I don't know your previous cases, but it may be that in this case, the judges didn't see sufficient proof to show the property, actually, that the current statement of the property is is sort of the damaged uh, uh, property versus how the property was handed over to them, uh, to the tenants. And I, you, you sound like a pretty experienced landlord. Perhaps you have a very detailed move-in uh, move-in report with the pictures and such but I would imagine if you had something like that and then you you provide the current move-out report and there is a big discrepancy I mean that in of itself um, should suffice as evidence uh, and perhaps if you didn't have that this is why the court I mean how else can the court decide whether the apartment that you the, the state of the apartment today is, um, is 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 far different from what it was when you rented the property unless there's some sort of evidence so perhaps you know this is the difference between between previous cases and, and this case uh, now but as you said but if it's not the case and you truly think that there was just a, this is a procedural mistake then you certainly can appeal the case and with regard to the costs of the report um, generally speaking it's um, I'm pr- taking legal proceedings or any kind of proceedings cost money and they cost money by way of court fees of, of expert fees translation fees lawyer fees and such so it's true Proceedings are not cheap, and you have the advantage of being able to, to uh, conduct them yourself, as you said, perhaps because you speak Arabic. Uh, but yeah, but that's the cost is always often, especially in rental disputes, is often prohibitively expensive. And this is why a lot of cases don't end up going to court because it's just too expensive. But you may, if you do win ultimately, you should be able to claim the cost of the municipality report um, as part of um, the expenses to be paid by, by the tenant if you win. Ali? Um, just yeah, sorry. Uh, that, just to follow up on the appeal, uh, I I tried to make an appeal. I was told that since this is below the the threshold, I think it was hundred thousand or two hundred thousand that I cannot appeal the judgment uh, as well. So unfortunately, I had to lose that case. Yeah. So in in that case, I guess the lesson the lesson for you is is since you seem to own a number of other properties is just to go through the details in, in terms of the court's judgment and see what you can learn next time around. So, I mean, the municipality report, again, there's nothing in the law that requires you to do that, but but certainly courts do introduce new requirements along the way, and so now you know that. So there's another case. Obviously, if it's below 100,000 dirhams, then, um, I, you know, it's... I don't want to say it's it's just a lot of money still, even 50,000 dirhams and 30,000 dirhams is a lot of money. But perhaps at this point, your money will be better spent on just repairing the property, learning the lesson, moving on. Ali, saddened we can't enlighten uh, anymore, but really appreciate you calling.
Thank you very much. Thank you. Good, good to have you on. Um, it's interesting that, you know, I'm just wondering uh, what kind of damage uh, happens in an apartment, what constitutes damage, how far you take that. I mean, there are so many. Do you see, uh, and aspects. this could be a very simple issue, but in most cases from our experience, it's not because the uh, landlords often claim damages. But in, in our experience, often there is no evidence uh, in mm. terms of you know, what constitutes damage. One and two parties agreement as to who is responsible for what kind of damage to what, what amount. Uh, so if contracts were tighter drafted, you could address this. So anything, for example, within um, certain kinds of either maintenance issues or amounts could be a responsibility of the tenant. Everything else above that is the landlord. And even though there are clauses that generally kind of refer to that, they're not they're not often well drafted and they're not very helpful when these issues come up. Mm. Okay, a brief text in here, Ludmilla from Abhishek. It says, how is VAT calculated on the sale of commercial property? Obviously, VAT's come in lots of things for people to get their head around. Um, so if, if you are selling a uh, commercial property, where is the VAT applied? Uh, so commercial property is different uh, in terms of uh, from residential property in, in context of VAT. And that is that there is VAT uh, that is due on the sale of commercial property, unlike uh, residential property, and that is 5%. So in addition to everything else, in, d- in addition to the 4%, um, the registration fee that goes to the land department, there is the 5% uh, that's um, uh, VAT. And in terms of the value, it's it's basically the market value of the property. And now in in the past, um, sometimes uh, the market value and the stated contract value have been held by the th- authorities as not quite matching. So often uh, if if the, the authorities believe that the stated price on the contract itself is actually below the market value, they will use their own data for what the market value is. And so in that case, um, the VAT could be calculated not necessarily on the stated con- contract value but on the market value but it is it is due uh, now as I say that there were some uh, announcements but they were only news articles and there has been nothing from um, FTA to, uh, to to confirm this so I want to be careful saying it but I want to address it because the issue has come up and 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 some people might have you um, sort of misleading understanding about about the application of VAT because there have been statements that if if the property, if the commercial property, when it's being sold, when it's rent, if it's rented at that point, if it's leased, then it's not subject to VAT. So there have been a number of news articles in the last several months about it, but there has been nothing that has come from FTA uh, making that uh, basically an exception. So as far as we know, uh, whether the uh, to this day, whether the commercial property is rented uh, or vacant upon sale, VAT five percent is due. Okay, so more clarification needed on that particular point. Well, it's it's no, it's it's due until basically those announcements that have been circulating in the media have been confirmed by FTA, but they have not. But it's but I will tell you address you one more interesting issue about VAT in the context of of sale, sale of property because who it actually has to pay and to whom is an interesting exercise because the land department says that they don't collect VAT, so it's actually obligation of the. Uh, of the seller um, or whoever it is, you know, basically the seller mm. um, to collect 
the VAT from the buyer and then pay it to um, FTA. So it's not the land department that will collect um, uh, VAT. And that's quite interesting because, as as we've said earlier in the program, uh, a lot of the sellers don't have residency here. So how will the seller actually re- collect that VAT and how will it give it to the uh, to the government if they don't really have legal presence here and they don't really sort of know the system? So that's something that yet has to be... I guess sort of evolve. It will have to evolve. Uh, we haven't quite seen seen it in action, but what we have gotten clear clarification from the land department is that they are not the ones who actually collect the VAT and pass it on to um, uh, onto the government. Unlike, for example, customs. So today, these days, if you if you uh, import anything, it's the customs actually that will collect um, VAT. But this is not the case with the land department. Okay, so expect it to be due then. Jive Live Talks Legal. Admilia Malava is with us. We're going to talk to Fakradine in just a couple of moments. Drive live. Talks legal. Fakradine has a question actually and this is a question from last week. Fakradine, do you know what? We've kept you waiting for seven days but actually we've not kept you waiting. We have built up to welcoming you on the radio with us at this point. How's that? <laughs> that sounds good. Best I could do. Nice to talk to you. What did you want to ask uh, Ludmilla Fakradine? Um, okay. So uh, the thing is I'm going on leave soon and uh, I'm going in the middle of the month, so uh, uh, I asked my company about uh, uh, the leave salary, and uh, they said that they don't pay leave salary before an employee goes. Usually, what they do is they say that uh, uh, they retain about 30 days of leave salary. Uh, uh, wait, let me explain again. Uh, so, what they do is, um, if you finish just uh, two years with the company, then uh, you have 60 days of leave, and they give you 30 days of leave salary and keep the 30 days uh, as it, it, it remains as a collateral. So if a, if an employee doesn't come back, then those that that 30 days of salary is uh, is as a collateral as a uh, you know uh, as a notice period. So okay. kind of if if in case that employee doesn't come back, you know. Right. So they said that we can't pay you your leave salary. We'll give it to you once you come back. Right then. And uh, to that, I told them that, uh, but that's not what how how we have agreed, and it's not an agreement we've had, and that's not what labor law e- either says. And uh, I didn't want to throw the labor law statement in front of them, but I didn't have any choice because I t- I kept telling them that look, I don't have money. I'm going on vacation. I don't have money. I need some money. Mm. And they said uh, there's just no reaction from them, and I had to throw in the labor law thing. And then they said no, it's not. It doesn't say in the labor law. It's it's our company policy. And to which I said that, you know what, company policy cannot precede the labor law. And they said, no, it can. Uh, just that it, it can. And I said, no, but it can't. How can, how can company policy precede labor law? And then to which after that they said, you know what, you, if you want, if you think you know, you can go and complain to whoever you want. Go and complain, no problem. Okay, well, let's get a clarification uh, on whether yeah. the uh, labor law can be superseded by a company from Ludmilla. And that's that's truly is, is the um, the operative question here, uh, and in the short answer, no, it's not possible to contractually um, 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 overwrite the law. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, certainly with a provision like this, as you said, the law does provide for the option for the employee to ask for the sal- for the leave salary to be paid before their um, b- before they depart. Um, so the law is clear, and no contractual uh, document that um, that tends to um, override the law will ever be enforced in court. So that's the legal explanation, as you've already identified yourself. Now, the more practical approach is that well, what do you do about that? Well, a company obviously has a an internal policy that contradicts the law. So unless you want 
going to challenge that, uh, then you're unfortunately you are stuck with uh, with uh, an internal company policy that <laughs> basically does not benefit that it's uh, to your detriment. And so mm. the challenging, obviously, you can do it in one of two ways. One, you can just leave the company, and that's just if, if it's a significant <laughs> enough challenge for you or issue. Yeah. And two, you could just take it to court and 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 argue that particular issue in court. But you obviously, but that amounts to the same thing as leaving because whenever you file exactly. a case against like the company, when, when, yeah. So unfortunately, there isn't really the legal the legal um, answer. You know, you've identified yourself, and that's very clear. Uh, but the practical aspects, it's sort of a personal decision. What you have to do is, you know, how much of an issue, how big of an issue it is for you, and how much of a stance you want to take against the company to enforce it. But but certainly, you know, in between there, there is always an opportunity for you to continue to negotiate with the company and trying to uh, to educate them. So perhaps um, it's possible that at some point in time, somebody will listen to you and will uh, will decide to have practices that actually match the law and not um, uh, and not contradict them. Well, that's very difficult for us to uh, comment on. You know your company, uh, Fakradine. Sorry we can't yeah. help anymore. But, you know, I know, I know. Uh, we got you on. I hope it works out. And in the meantime, have a good holiday. Thanks. Appreciate it. That's Fakradine. Uh, unfortunately, no uh, definitive answer. NLT? Yeah, a couple of quick ones. Uh, Ludmilla, this one. Can you still obtain a residency visa um, for your family by owning a property above a million dirham? Yes, but that only applies in Dubai. Okay, um, next one we have. I received a parking ticket on a developer's property in Abu Dhabi. I assumed it was on private property. Can police issue parking tickets on private land? And can I contest the ticket? Uh, well, two is a p- police is the government authority, so obviously they do have the authority if they believe that this is a breach of some kind of regulations, and certainly they have the authority to uh, to enforce that. Uh, now, so yes, they have the authority. Two, can you challenge it? Absolutely, you can. So if it's it's big enough issue for you, then certainly you can challenge it. And perhaps one of the arguments you can make is exactly that: is that that you thought, I mean, that there was a private property, but you need to be you need mm. to really be sure that it is private property because I will tell you from experience, it's not often evident um, the ownership. Of a particular property, even if uh, to the sort of the public eye, it may look like something else. Um, Legally speaking, it's it may not be. So just be mindful that you may not have legal basis to argue. But certainly, if it's if it's important enough for you, then you should you should appeal and see what happens. We've only got a minute left. Let's finish with the first text in on the text line this afternoon. We didn't get to everything, but we'll try and put them in next week. Here's Carl. Uh, I have an apartment in the marina for which the management company is charging against what they say is the strata area of the apartment. Their quoted area is close to 50% higher than the square feet listed in my title deed, including common area. Should the numbers not be identical? Uh, in the theory, yes, they should be identical, and generally there is um, uh, there is the rear approved. Uh, uh service fees per square foot of uh, for each property so make sure that you have the document so you know what the square uh, square footage cost is um, um, generally speaking so that's been approved by RERA that's one and two obviously yes you should not be paying more than what you what you basically own and if your title deed includes both uh, your property and common and the proportion of, of common area then that you should not be paying more than that so the only way for you to really contest unless there's some other hidden nuance um, then basically I Either not pay or contest with the land department. Um, often they, they can help resolve this without having to go to court. Carl, there's the answer. Ludmilla Malavas from your Malavar and Plethka. Ludmilla, it's always good to see you. Thanks, Connie. Thank you. Appreciate it. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.